Hey, welcome to the C3 Auckland podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, head to c3church.org.nz. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, I wanted to, um, uh, we're going to continue in our, our series here this morning, looking at the idea of eternity. And I wanted to ask a question, who's had like a really bad hospitality experience? Like you've been to a hotel or you've stayed at someone's house and it's just been, it's left you with a bit of a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, I want to share a story this morning, which, um, you know, might gross you out. But uh, anyway, you bear with me. You're all anticipating what I'm actually going to tell you. But anyway, me and my wife, before we had kids, we went to um, Australia for a conference and we were staying with a friend who he actually said, oh, hey, why don't you come stay with me? I'm house sitting in this amazing house on the northern beaches of Sydney. And you guys can just stay in the spare room. It's awesome. It's beachfront. And we're like, that sounds amazing. We're going we're gonna to take you up on that offer. So anyway, so we, we took one of those horrible early morning uh, flights to Sydney where you've got to get up at 3 a.m. New Zealand time, you're on the plane at 6, and then you, you, know, you get there, you spend the whole day in Sydney, and then by the time it's like, you know, you're sort of adjusting to Australia time, so, you know, everyone's ready to go to bed, it's sort of, you know, I don't know, 10, 11, and for you it's like, I don't know, 2 in the morning, uh, New Zealand time, so you're just like, I'm so tired, I will just sleep anywhere at this point in time. Anyway, we get to the house, uh, beautiful house, amazing, he's like, oh, you guys are in this spare room here, and we're thinking, oh, it's going to be a nice room. Anyway, we, we got in there, and you sort of walked into the room, and it had this, this smell about it, like someone's been living here. You, you guys know what I'm talking about, eh? You sort of walk in, you're like, yeah, someone's been living in this room. And it wasn't quite what you'd expect uh, you know, a guest room to be. Hadn't really been a lot of preparation. Um, I mean, bless this guy. He's a lovely guy, but hospitality wasn't his top spiritual gift. Uh, anyway, we get into this room, and, and we're like, we're just so ready for bed. And we just jump in, and we just all of a sudden realize someone's been sleeping in these sheets. There's sand in the bed, there's hair on the pillow, and there's a couple of little stains in the corner. And we're just like, oh, like it just, it's that moment where you're just like, like, what do you do? But we're so tired, we had no option. So we just had to um, grit our teeth and endure it and then wake up the next morning and have a lovely coffee on the deck looking out at the ocean to try and get rid of the thought. Uh, fortunately, it was just one night and then we were out of there. But who's had an experience? I mean, it's a pretty bad experience, let's be honest. But uh, who's had an experience where you're just like, yeah, it's just, it's not nice when you go somewhere and there's been no thought or preparation that's gone into your stay. We're talking this morning out of John chapter 14. And it's a great scripture because this actually shows us that our God has prepared a place for us. Amen. He is, he is, he's actually working right now as we speak on an eternity uh, spent with Him, an amazing place that we can dwell together with all of God's people and ultimately with Christ uh, and with the Father for all eternity. Uh, Jesus is talking to His disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, many rooms, room enough for, for everyone that would seek after Jesus Christ. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. As we consider eternity, this is our theme for this month. As we consider eternity, and we look at this text from John's Gospel, you know, my prayer and my, my hope for us here this morning is that we would take confidence in the fact that, that God most definitely has a place prepared for us. And that we would consider the implications that has for the way that we live our lives now, the priorities that we have in our lives now here on earth. 
See, knowing that there is a place for us in eternity does four things for us. It keeps our trust where it should be. It shows us how much we matter to God. It lets us know that if we receive Him, He is prepared to receive us. And it changes our priorities in the way that we live now. These are going to be my four points that we're going to work through as we look at this text this morning. The first is this, knowing there is a place prepared for us in eternity keeps our trust where it should be. It keeps our trust where it should be, no matter what comes. Now let's think about the context right here. It's the Last Supper. Jesus has just um, uh, washed his disciples' feet. Judas has left to betray Jesus. And Jesus has just told Peter that he's going to deny him three times. Now, in the anticipation of all that's going to happen in the next 24 hours, uh, Jesus, you can imagine, is feeling it. Uh, He's going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray about it with the Father. He's going to sweat blood over it. Uh, He's even going to ask the Father, Lord, if if this, Father, if this um, can be taken from me, please let it be so. So he's, he's feeling the anticipation of what's going to happen over the next 24 hours. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be physically beaten. He's going to be nailed to a, a Roman cross, the most horrible way anybody could die. Uh, but more than that, he's going to be separated from the Father because of the, the sin of humanity, which is, is going to be born on his shoulders. He is anticipating uh, a, a lot of trouble that he's about to face. And you can imagine the weight of that on his mind. Yet he says to his disciples, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled. I mean, who should be comforting who in this situation? You know, and, and here we have uh, the, the creator, the savior of the world, you know, saying to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now they had plenty of things that they needed to be anxious about as well. Troubles that they were facing. Uh, they just found out that one of their, their 12 was a traitor. That Peter, the guy, he was, he was going to deny Jesus and that Jesus said uh, to them, I'm going to leave you guys this night. This very night will be the last time that we do this together like, like this in, in this way. Um, obviously, he'd see them later on after his resurrection. But the, the, this is, this is, there's a lot of, of weight upon the disciples as well. Uh, he'll, he'll spend the next couple of chapters telling them that they are going to face persecution from the Jews, persecution from the Romans, and that all but one of them will actually uh, eventually give his life for the faith that they believe in. Uh, you know, the, the, the writer John will be the only one of the disciples that doesn't actually, um, you know, succumb to, uh, to martyrdom. All of them else will, uh, all, all the rest of them will do. And so we have this this understanding that, hey, look, these guys have every right to be a little anxious. And Jesus never promised us that our lives would be free from anxiety, but he he did promise us that even in a, I guess, a troubled life, a chaotic life, we could have untroubled hearts. Uh, um, Sorry, he doesn't promise us a life without trouble, but he promises a life free from a troubled heart. That's That's what he's here to say to us this morning. Sorry, second time around. I'm just (laughs) remembering all the different parts of my message. (laughs) See, John 16, 33 says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that is a great reminder for us, amen? In this world, in this crazy time that we live, we can take heart by the fact that he has given us peace in a world full of trouble. See, Christ has defeated his enemies. He's given us his presence, the Holy Spirit to be with us no matter what we face. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our eternal future with our heavenly Father that we're heading towards. And it's the Holy Spirit along with the Word of God that gives us a correct vision for eternity. And when we have a correct view of eternity, we have a correct context for the way that we are to live our lives now. See, every struggle that we endure, every trial that we face, no matter what trouble comes our way, we have confidence that there is a place prepared for us and we can leave behind all the anxiety that gets into our life. 
because of what's going on around us. C.S. Lewis said in the truest sense, the Christian pilgrim has the best of both worlds. We have joy whenever this world reminds us of the next and we take solace whenever it does not. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the key is trust. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, trust in God and trust in me. Trust that God is good and that what he promises he will do. He says, trust in me, trust that the words I give you will never fail. You know, that, that Jesus has made a way and prepared a place for us. So instead of giving in to a troubled or an anxious heart, Jesus calls us to put our trust firmly in Him. Our priority should be faith. See, no other religious leader or religious teacher has ever called His followers to put their trust in Him in the same way that they would for God. In the same way, Jesus is the proof that God is, is willing to go all out. We see this in Romans 8, 32. He did not, who would, did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? This is the proof that God loves us so much that He would be willing to send Jesus, His very best, to make a way for us. So if we believe that in Jesus, we see the picture of God and what He is like, then we know that He is absolutely committed to getting us through this life so that we can be with Him in the next. Amen? We can trust Him because we know that His intentions for us are the best. They're for the best. So firstly, knowing there is a place prepared for us in eternity, keeps our trust where it should be. Secondly, it shows us how much we, we matter to God. He says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And again, this talks about hospitality. I mean, it took God how many days to create the world? Six, seven, six days to create the world. On the seventh day, He rested. He's been preparing a place for us for the last 2,000 years, so it's got to be something else. Amen? He says in verse, uh, Hebrews 6, verse 20, says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We sung this in that last song. How great was that song? It reminds us you know, where our hope is. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Now, this word forerunner that we see in, in Hebrews, the, the Greek word padromos, talks about this idea of, um, it was used when Roman reconnaissance troops would go out before a main army and they would blaze a trail. They would make sure that the, the pathway was safe for the Roman army following behind them. It also talks about uh, it, was, it was used uh, for these little boats that would go in front of the large grain ships that were entering the ancient harbor of Alexandra. This was a, a, a harbor that was very difficult to approach. And these little ships called the Padromus would, would lead the way so these big grain ships wouldn't get uh, wrecked upon the rocks. And in the same way, Jesus goes before us and he, he, has, he has blazed away, He has made a way for us so we can enter into eternity securely and confidently knowing that there is a place for us with our heavenly Father. This is what He did by defeating sin and death on the cross. You know, He made a way for us. And this gives us that hope. It gives us that confidence that we matter to God so much that He would go to the lengths of sending His own Son to die so we could be with Him. He talks about these, these mansions. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions or rooms or abiding places or dwelling places. The idea that there is room for all. And He talks about His Father's house. You know, in the Old Testament way of thinking, this was the place where people would go to meet with God. When, when Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, they were wandering around the desert and the, the, the tabernacle was sort of this temporary tent that they would put up. And this is where the people of, of Israel would have to meet with God. And then it was succeeded by the temple, Solomon's temple, which was a more permanent structure. 
See, the, 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 the tabernacle foreshadowed Jesus' first coming. The temple foreshadowed his second coming. And what he's saying is that, you know, when I return, it will be forever. No more trouble, no more sorrow, no more pain. Because you matter to me, my Father's house will be your house, a dwelling place for each person that has put their trust in Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, and uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, which talks about this idea that, the, that, that God doesn't dwell in, in a box, in a room, somewhere away. He, he dwells in the hearts of His people because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus went into, uh, uh, you know, on our behalf, he, he blazed that way for us. We can now have fellowship with God where we are. We can come together as the church. We can spend time in fellowship with Him privately. We have this amazing connection with our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus did. He made a way for us. You know, that the, the temple curtain was torn in two. And now there's no longer a need to separate, but we can, when we come and we give our lives to Jesus, we have His power and His presence and, and fellowship, connection with Him. That's the hope that we have, the anchor to our soul through the storms and the chaos of this life. Then He brings us to His great promise in our third point this morning. Knowing there is a place prepared for us in eternity reveals to us that if we're prepared to receive Him, He will receive us. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me. Now, for those who believe in Jesus here today and uh, have made Him Lord, you know, He dwells in us by His Holy Spirit and He's given us His Word. So we know that He's with us. But here Jesus is saying that He will literally one day, uh, yeah, He will literally and physically one day return. He says, I will come again. And Strong's Lexicon defines the word that John uses here as to come from one place to another and is used of both persons arriving and of those returning. And the early disciples, you know, in the early church, they knew that, that Jesus was going to come back. They, they thought it was going to happen a lot quicker. Uh, they, they probably weren't anticipating it was still going to be 2,000 years later, and they're still waiting for him. But the, uh, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, which many churches use as statement of faith, uh, state, statements of faith, uh, you know, to, to say, hey, this is what we believe as a church. Uh, both of these things agree that to be a Christian is to agree upon the return of Christ to judge the living and the dead. But what does all of this mean? Does this mean that God's going to come back and invade the atmosphere like that great 90s movie, Independence Day? You see the spacecraft like coming through the clouds? Uh, or, or are we all going to be raptured away, leaving behind perplexed friends and family members, uh, wondering what's happened to us? All the news media thinking, oh my goodness, all these people have left behind little piles of clothes. Uh, for those of you that have seen the Left Behind series, we know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, regardless of the circumstances, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't spend too much time trying to speculate on all these things. Regardless of the circumstances, you know, uh, on the day that, that Christ does eventually physically make His personal presence known on earth, His people, us, will be part of the welcoming committee. And I want to talk about this. I want to just expand on this idea for a second because it helps us avoid a theology of escapism, you know, where it's just like, hey, cool, all right, well, we're going to be saved and the rest of the world can just burn in the fires of God's judgment. It's like, well, I think we've sort of missed the point slightly if we take that approach. Now, as we looked at it earlier, the word John uses when he quotes Jesus in um, chapter 14, verse 3, is talking about a literal ret return, coming from one place to another. To get a slightly broader perspective, Paul, when Paul talks about Christ's return in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, he uses a different word to the one that John uses. He uses a word called parousia, and it has two meanings. Firstly, it talks about people becoming suddenly aware of the supernatural presence of God and is used particularly in describing Yahweh saving Israel from its enemies. For example, the moment where God turned up 
uh, and rescued King Hezekiah from the Assyrian army. It's used there. It's also, it also talks uh, in a Greco-Roman sense of a royal presence and is used through uh, different Greco-Roman um, uh, sort of literature to describe the idea of the emperor turning up to a city that he rightfully rules from afar. For example, uh, the emperor lives in Rome. He most, spends most of his time in Rome. He rules from Rome, but he's still the emperor of a, of a city like Philippi uh, or a, a, a province like Judea. He's still the, the, the emperor of, of those places, even though he's not physically there. And so this word parousia is used when the emperor was to turn up, for example, if he was doing a, uh, a tour of duty around his empire, he would turn up in a city and it was like this appearing moment where the, the, the emperor who rules from afar was now there physically present. Does this make sense? This is the kind of the idea that Paul is bringing together, the Jewish idea of the day of the Lord, uh, where God would rescue his people from their enemies, and the Greco-Roman idea of the ruling emperor being physically present. He's illustrating a point here. He's saying that one day, the one who is fully in control, and the Lord of all the earth, who is ever present in spirit, will make his physical presence known to the people that live in the land that he rules from heaven. Is this making sense this morning? What a day that will be. It will be an incredible day. It'll be a terrifying day for a lot of people, but it will be a, a glorious day where God returns to the place that he rightfully rules. Jesus Christ is the true Lord of this earth. Make no mistake, even though he's not physically here. And, and we have to remember as well, like the moment that Jesus turns up in person, the whole world has to acknowledge his existence. You know, he, he, he holds back because he, he, he wants people to reach out, reach out to him. You know, as, as soon as he turns up, I've got no choice to believe that God's real at that point. My choice is taken away. But in this moment of time where we have faith, we can reach out to Him. He wants us to have an authentic relationship with Him. He wants us to reach out for Him. If love is forced upon people, it's not love, is it? Going back to Jesus talking to His disciples, He says, I will come back and take you to be with me. Now, the English translation would lead us to believe that we're leaving to go somewhere. But... Uh, the word um, paralambano is, is better translated to to take to uh, or to take with oneself, to join with oneself. It talks about an associate or a companion. And if we think about this, this illustration again of the emperor turning up to a city that he rightfully rules from afar, when the day of his visit became known, his subjects would, would leave what they were doing. They would race outside the city gates and meet him out in the countryside to accompany him back to the city that he rightfully rules. They wouldn't just stay where they were. They wouldn't just wave from the gates. It would be a huge dishonor for them just to, to meet him as he arrives at the gates. They would go out and accompany him back. They wouldn't stay in the, uh, the outer country. They wouldn't go back to Rome with him. They would, they would accompany him back to their city, but with, you know, the city that was also their city. And that's the way that they would say, we honor you. We recognize your right to rule here. You are our true emperor. You are our true, our true lord. So as he arrives to the city, that is his own. His enemies and the enemies of his people are defeated, liberating those he has received as his own and bringing them into his father's house as companions one more, once more with them. A, a house with room for everyone. No more tears, no more shame, no more death, no more pain. And we see this amazing picture in Revelation chapter 19, 11 to 16. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. It goes on. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. This is talking about that moment where God turns up and makes his presence known, where Jesus turns up. And that's like the moment where we're like, man, I'm with that guy. <laughs> you know, all of those that have made Jesus Lord, it's like, this is, this is the day. And then Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4, I won't read it out, but, but it talks about the kind of life that we have with Jesus ruling physically in, in the moment. You know, we enter into eternity. 
where there is no more suffering, no more pain, because our true Lord has come physically. He's physically present. And this is the moment where heaven has physically come to earth and we begin that eternity with Christ. We've got to remember that history is going somewhere. There is a great story unfolding that we are part of. No matter what troubles we face in this life, we can be assured of the fact that we have not been left to ourselves. Jesus said, where I am, you will be with me. You know, for the Christian, heaven is wherever Jesus is. There's no point speculating about what heaven will be like because it's simply enough knowing that we will be with him forever. You know, when we're fully in love with someone, we, we become fully alive when we're with that person. Wouldn't you agree? It's like the same with Jesus. You know, when we actually, we were like, oh man, this is my true Lord. This is my true King. The true ruling Lord of this earth is here by his spirit, but one day he will physically return to claim that which is his. Prize of being able to dwell for all eternity with the ones that he formed, his friends. He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And his family, part of the household of God. God has a plan and He is working it out through us. Fourthly, knowing there is a place prepared for us in eternity changes our priorities in this life. See, God wants as many people as possible to dwell with Him in His house for all eternity. And this means that there is still much work to be done in this earthly existence. We have the responsibility to light up the way to eternal life. You know, all of us will face death, the death of these bodies at some point. and, and at some point, Jesus will return. We don't know which is going to happen first. Um, but we have to be prepared. This should drive us to a sense of urgency. The priorities that we have today will firstly lead us, and secondly, those we interact with, towards an eternity spent in one of two places, with God or without God. God was never going to force His agenda upon those that choose to, to not want to be with Him. Whether it be in this lifetime or not, as I said, Jesus will physically reveal himself and nobody will be able to deny his existence. Like the Roman emperor turning up in the city that he rightfully rules from afar, there will be people who will run out to meet him and there'll be those who will hide away in terror. And the question is, which are we gonna be? Those who are caught too busy, they're like, oh, oh, the emperor's here. Oh, I've still got so much to do. So many things to take care of. Oh, the emperor's here. Oh my goodness, like, what does this mean for my life? Oh, the emperor's here. Come on, let's go out and meet him. Let's think about that. Think about what are we doing today that's gonna prepare us for that day that he returns or the day that we enter into eternity. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. There is a way to eternity. There's a road to eternity, a pathway to eternity. It's a narrow road. It's a, it's a pathway that is not easy to find. It's far easier to go down a different road. But Jesus says, follow me, walk this pathway, walk this road. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Don't you just love Thomas? You know, all the other disciples are like stunned mullets just sitting there like, Ugh, like how do I process this information? And Thomas is like, I've got to know, I've got to know what, what does this mean? But if it wasn't for for doubting Thomas, we wouldn't have one of the greatest things that Jesus ever said. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So simple, so clear, so definitive. And to the world, it sounds narrow, it sounds bigoted. But you can never accuse Jesus of selling you short. 
He's always clear in what He says. Jesus made a way before us. He blazed the trail before us. But He doesn't stand there and say, yeah, the directions are that way. Just like go down that road, take a left, take a right, another left, make a U-turn, and hopefully you'll find it. It's like, like no, like He actually he leads us. He leads us by the hands and says, come, I'll show you the way. But it does mean that we need to be prepared and willing to follow Him. There's an amazing passage in Isaiah 30, verses 15 to 26. I'll just read verse 21. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. That's why we call it our Christian walk. We're to walk it out. But in every decision that you make, you know, when you're at work, when you're at university, whatever you're doing, allow yourself to become aware of the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way, walk in it. He'll help you have the strength to make the right decisions, the right choices, to prioritize things in the right way so that you can be ready for that day. Not just ready for yourself, but to help make as many others as possible ready for that day. See, when we rely on ourselves, on human strength, on idols, to find our own way, we cave into fear and we fail miserably. But when we recognize our need for God, we put our trust, our faith and our hope in Jesus. We turn away from the things that used to take so much of our attention, desires, the deceptions, all these things, and we instead prioritize Jesus, then we find ourselves on the right way, the right path to eternity. John 14, 23, Jesus said later on in that same chapter, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make a home with them. He says, we live out a life following His way, speaking His truth, and living out the life that He has given us by His Spirit. There will be people who will be drawn to the same path that we're on. They'll look at your life and say, what is it about you that makes your life different? Honestly, I've had so many people in the last couple of weeks that I've had the privilege to, to talk to Jesus about, people that have just messaged me out of the blue. Um, I had a friend just, you know, a, a guy I knew years ago who I hadn't really seen for two years, and he, he reached out to me on Instagram and said, man, he's like, with a, with a world in chaos, there's gotta be a God. And then I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and lead him to Christ just in our church cafe during the week. I had another guy reach out to me a couple of, a couple of weeks later with the same thing. Uh, I've, I've had three people just in that cafe in the last few weeks that have, have met Jesus, which is incredible. Not, not in a church service, you know, no nice music or lights or anything, just simply hearing that, that God has a plan for their lives and for the world and has made a way for them. It's incredible. And there are many, many stories. Talk to Matthew about some of the amazing stories he's seen. He's an Uber driver and drives Ubers and just every day God's is bringing people into his, his, uh, his Uber car and he's sharing the gospel with them. It's incredible. Amazing stories. You should talk to this guy. It's an inspiration. It was Marcus Aurelius, a Roman emperor, who said, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. I thought it was quite ironic. A Roman emperor who didn't know God said those words. But knowing there is a place prepared for us in eternity, it keeps our trust where it should be, shows us how much we matter to God, and it reveals to us that if we receive Him, He will receive us. And it changes the priorities in our lives. Amen? Hopefully that was encouraging this morning. You're all listening very quietly, so I, I want to encourage you because I know that was a, a strong message. And I think the times we live in require slightly stronger messages than perhaps we've had in the past. You know, God is, something's changing. You know, it's like the like pastor Zach said it the other week. You play different in the fourth quarter of basketball than you do in the first quarter. 
there's, a, there's, a, there's an urgency. There's a sense, hey, hey, something's happening here. And I want to encourage us and stir us and challenge us. You sh- I hope you were encouraged. I also hope you were challenged because there is a sense where, hey, look, something's happening this time. We're coming into the final chapter of the book. I don't know what the timelines aren't going to be. I'm, I'm certainly not going to try and predict, but I know that God, is, He's doing something in our time that is unique in all of human history. What an exciting time to be alive. What an exciting time to be serving God. So come on, let it stir you. Let it encourage you. Let it build you up. But let it make you aware of the fact that, hey, history is going somewhere and we're part of His plan. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more about our church or to find out what's coming up, check out c3church.org.nz.